The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to the Roto World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short and I'm joined here as always by Drew Silva. And Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, we took a little break over the holidays while also working on our annual magazine, which will hit shelves in early February. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Fortunately, the magazine goes into production uh, next week. So uh, we're, gonna, we're going to be able to include the big news coming out of Thursday. Yeah, huge trade, which I think should open like the free agent floodgates as well. Um, a lot of implications here, but just the gist of it, Francisco Lindor, uh, star shortstop and right-handed starter Carlos Carrasco both got traded to the Mets. Um, in exchange, uh, the Indians got um, Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, two young infielders. I think Jimenez probably a little bit of the brighter future of those two guys. And then also uh, 2019 uh, second round pick Josh Wolf. He's a right-hander uh, with kind of a well-developed four-pitch arsenal, but still a project, still a young guy, and only eight career or professional innings to this point, so not a lot of data on him. And then outfielder Isaiah Green, who was picked, what was it, like 63rd overall, I believe, in this right. past June's draft. Um, so no data on him, a 19-year-old with good speed and projectable power. Um, in general, though, you know, this looks like a cash dump uh, from the Indians. I, I believe they save a total of $44 million um, and now have the, the lowest project, projected payroll in, in all of Major League Baseball. There's a long list of players they've traded away oh, yeah. uh, since, you know, the start of last season or going back to last offseason even. Um, but the Mets, I mean, you've got to be happy <laughs> as, as our resident Mets fan <laughs> on this podcast. I'm trying to contain my excitement, but uh, it's definitely a big day uh, for the Mets. And, you know, looking strictly at, at fantasy value here, Lindor is coming off a, a down year to be sure. Hit 258 with eight homers and a 750 OPS uh, last year. Career low numbers, but uh, it's just 60 games. And we shouldn't make too much out of that given his track record. 833 career OPS, power, speed, we know that. Excellent defense at shortstop. Uh, just going into his age 27 season as well. So, you know, you look at that track record, you should expect him to bounce back. And uh, just looking at the NFBC uh, average draft position, he's at 16.26 right now. So uh, basically like an early second round pick. And, you know, I bet that increases a little bit in the days ahead, you know, going to New York, he's in a good spot with that Mets lineup, which, was sneaky good last season. Um, they were right among the top in the in the National League. Uh, so I, I think, obviously, I think his value goes up at least a little bit. He was probably already 
uh, a top five fantasy shortstop, but I think this cements his status there. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that he'll have more buzz now. And you look at the advanced metrics on what he did last year, he was fine. Um, and I think if the season had stretched on more than 60 games, the rate stats would have leveled out and he would have, you know, piled on the counting stats. His hard hit rate, I believe, was the best of his career. Uh, 41.1% of his balls in play were over 95 point miles an hour and in, in an exit velocity. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I like him a lot in fantasy, like like you always do. He's been a first round pick in the past. I, I It wouldn't shock me if he climbs into the first round in a lot of drafts. And then looking at Carlos Carrasco, I mean, for him to come back from a, a leukemia diagnosis from 2019 and put up the numbers he did, a 2.91 ERA, 82 strikeouts in 68 innings, um, and then moves from progressive field, which is you know pretty hitter-friendly, to city field there in Queens, which is kind of an extreme pitcher's park. Um, I'd be really confident about him moving forward. And he's been around a long time, so I think people think he's older than he is. He's only 33. Um, he'll turn 34 in March, so around the end of spring training. We hope spring training happens then. But mm-hmm. um, I love him in that Mets rotation, joining Jacob deGrom and Marcus Stroman, who accepted that qualifying offer. And then I guess Syndergaard might be back around June, too. Yes. So that rotation has a chance to be really good. And the Mets might, might not be done yet. And with Carrasco, his ADP on NFBC right now is 73.46, which feels a little low for you know what he's capable of doing. And I, I think his, uh, his position should only improve going to a Mets team who should give him plenty of run support. Uh, they've added Trevor May in that bullpen. They might not be done there either, so that could help his win potential. Um, but looking at the Indians here, Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Indians fans, but obviously it's the same what's going on here. Uh, Robert Murray, I believe, tweeted something out a little while ago uh, saying all the players the Indians have traded just in the last 18 months, and it's it's an impressive list of, of talent here. Uh, Lindor, obviously, uh, today, Thursday, but Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco as well, going with Lindor just in the last 18 months. I mean, that is a haul of talent right there. Uh, and obviously today, Lindor, kind of a, a generational type of, of talent and someone that, I mean, any competitive team uh, should be able to lock up for the long term. But, uh, you know, one year left on his contract, it didn't seem likely that uh, that they would be able to resign him or they, they didn't show the the want to do it. Um, the Dolans there. Uh, so he gets traded in New York where presumably the Mets will, will try to lock him up with an extension. I think we're probably looking at a deal. At least the speculation could be in the range of 300 million. And given his age, 27, you know, I think that's perfectly reasonable. You think you get a 10 year deal for 300 million, something in that area, uh, you know, seems very possible right now. Um, so looking at the Indians, at least fantasy-wise, you know, Jose Ramirez is projected to be a first-round pick. Uh, I believe his ADP is like around 10 or so. Does does that feel safe? Is there any upside to that? I mean, are we sure he's not next out the door? Uh, could be. <laughs> I mean, he has a really team-friendly contract. I think $9.4 million owed in 2021, and then he's got a couple of cheap team options. Um, but, yeah, that – that lineup i mean but beyond jose ramirez i guess Frandel reyes and then they probably got like jake bowers roberto perez daniel johnson um rosario who's kind of kind of been a disappointment bradley zimmer who's been a disappointment 
Josh Naylor. Jimenez, I like him as a player, but I don't think he's there yet where he's going to be like a big time fantasy contributor. Um, I think he, I think Ramirez deserves to drop if he, if he winds up on the opening day roster in Cleveland. And at this point, I feel like they might as well just shed all the talent they have. And probably, yeah, I, I, I don't see, I mean, I feel bad for, for Indians fans, first of all. Yeah, I have a, uh, I have an Indians fan friend who got diagnosed with COVID this morning and then. Yeah. His tweet when the trade was announced was not today, Satan. <laughs> uh, I can understand that, man. That's that's a rough that's a rough few hours for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, looking at the return for the Indians and and kind of the fantasy uh, fallout as far as they're concerned, Andres Jimenez coming over uh, was really impressive uh, with the Mets last year. Nobody anticipated him making the opening day roster, so that was kind of a surprise. He's someone I thought probably wouldn't stick on the roster all season, but uh, he did all at the age of 21 years old uh, and held his own. I mean, he wasn't amazing offensively, but, you know, he showed a good approach. The speed was great. He stole eight bases in in 49 games and probably could steal more uh, if he got the green light more often. Uh, A better shortstop than Ahmed Rosario as well. So uh, I don't think it's really set in stone how things are going to be there in Cleveland, but I think Jimenez should be the shortstop there in Cleveland you know, where does Rosario fit? It's sort of unclear. Even the Mets were talking about maybe trying Rosario at third base. Uh, there had been some talk in the past. Field, yeah. yeah, center field possibly. So maybe Rosario is kind of more like a super utility guy from this point forward. Uh, and Rosario was someone, I think this time last year was, his name was on the rise in, in, in fantasy leagues after the second half that he had in, in 2019. But uh, he was awful last year, 643 OPS. Uh, and it took a really good final month of the season for him to even get to that number. Uh, he basically went in like half the season without drawing a walk. Uh, and he didn't even steal a base last year as well, which is super weird, uh, given that he has pretty good speed. So uh, I think at this point, Rosario probably off the mixed league radar, maybe someone who has to prove it a little more. But uh, with the playing time situation uh, with Jimenez sort of more clear in Cleveland, at least I think it should be. He's someone I could see coming off the board in, in late rounds of fantasy drafts, you know, assuming that, uh, you know, the playing time is there with the stolen base potential that he has, uh, he can help a lot of fantasy rosters. Yeah. He got on base at a, at a nice clip in the minors, didn't strike out a ton. And he has that 38 steal season from uh, 2018 between high A and double A. Uh, so I like the long-term upside there. I was going to ask you where you think Jimenez and Rosario will play second base or shortstop I guess they have the time to move it around and see what they like and maybe even try Rosario in the outfield um Jimenez is under control through 2025 I believe Rosario is under control through 2023 and the Indians obviously aren't trying to compete so yeah I mean they have some room to to kind of do some different looks on a daily basis and, and see what they like in the long term I feel bad for Jimenez in a way to take over shortstop there in Cleveland. Uh, I mean, Lindor, huge shoes to fill, but I think he's going to be not like a star or anything like that, or even an all-star, but I think he's going to be a solid player for, for the next few years at, at least until he gets it a little expensive and the Indians will trade him. You know, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, no, I, I, you've wanted to make this a Mets podcast for years and <laughs> we're finally there. Um, <laughs> But I, I think, um, man, I don't even know what I was going to say. Um, oh, so like compared to the U Darvish trade, what the Cubs received in, in return from the Padres, I think the Indians did 
better than that. Um, I, I, I think it's a relative thing because in this offseason, it just really doesn't take much, it seems, to get star players. Um, but Lindor has one year of control left. Darvish has three. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess the Cubs kind of went more for quantity over quality. They just got like, what, five teenage prospects, and they're hoping yeah. that we're never – it's five years away from knowing if these guys will be any yeah. good. And and that might be the case with Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green as well. It's sort of interesting that the path that the Indians are, are taking with these trades where they're sort of taking some major league guys and also some, like, long-term kind of prospects rather than just saying, you know what, we're just stockpiling prospects. It's not really working that way for them. So I don't know how this rebuilding – effort is really going to go. Um, but it is, it is interesting how things played out there, uh, you know, with the Cubs taking uh, basically just long-term lottery tickets. And it seemed they wanted to shed the cash. One other thing I was thinking about as I was making updates to our bullpen report, that'll be in the draft guide is, I mean, we, I think everyone loved James Karen check to like vault to the top tier among closers. Are you worried that the team is going to be so bad that, he just won't have the saves total. I mean, we've seen closers on bad teams still get saves. Like, you know, sometimes it's just close games and he'll have the rate stats. He'll have the ERA and the whip and he's a strikeout machine. Um, a 17.7 K per nine last year, uh, which I think was second only, or maybe tied with Devin Williams of the Brewers who, who won NL rookie of the year with that excellent changeup. But uh, do you knock him down a, a, a couple pegs? Like if, if you're doing like a top 300 overall, you'd probably knock him down like 10 spots or so, wouldn't you? I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, and the only reason I say that is because, uh, you know, the starting rotation is still good, at least, you know, ha- more than half of it. You look at uh, Shane Bieber, Zach Plesak, having a really good year last year. And, you know, the secondary numbers were really good as well. Uh, Tristan McKenzie's coming on. I, I think the rotation will keep games close. So they're going to play a lot of close games where, you know, maybe they have a one run advantage or something like that. I don't expect them to be scoring a ton of runs. Uh, so I, I, you know, given the strikeout upside, uh, I still think you're going to want um, Karen check uh, pretty high. Uh, and also because there's so many teams where the, the closer situations are unsettled. And just because, I mean, some of that's because there's some closers still available in free agency, but looking at the way things played out last year, I'd say maybe 15 teams will have like a set closer and the rest will just be, you know, chaos. What I liked about Karen check and still do like, is that Terry Francona is pretty traditional in his bullpen usage. Like he likes to have a set closer. I mean, that was Brad hand last year and they not, or they didn't pick up his option. Um, Right. But I don't know. I, I still like him, but the Indians traded away eight wins today. Like mm-hmm. if we're, if we're going by war um, and that's not really, you know, that's not an exact science, but they traded away a lot of wins today. And so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about it. Well, from the Mets perspective, gaining those wins, uh, they didn't have to touch any of their top prospects. And this is kind of what happened with the Padres too. Shocking that they were able to get done with what they did uh both with snell uh uh with where why am i blinking right now snell and darvish snell and darvish yeah uh they didn't have to touch any of their top press prospects either so the mets still have ronnie mauricio uh francisco alvarez brett Beatty, matthew allen pete crow armstrong so their top five is all still there and and green and wolf were top 10 prospects for the mets but they were more fringy 
you know, maybe fringy top 10 and maybe with a really good farm system, they're not even in the top 10. So for the Mets to do what they did is huge. I mean, it still gives them those prospects they could use later uh, and other potential deals. So that's huge. Um, and well, they did. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, where do they go next? I mean, we've heard, yeah. I think today, Bob Nightingale of USA Today said they've been talking to the Cubs about Chris Bryant. At this point, man, the Cubs are not going to get anything for Chris Bryant. He's yeah. going to come real cheap in terms of you know the return in a, the return package of talent. Um, right. I was thinking like you know with what Chris Bryant's going to make, I, I don't have his salary handy right now, but it's something around twenty million, I, yeah. I believe. Um, you know, if that's the case, and the, and the Mets are maybe reluctant to sign George Springer because they know they're going to have to sign Lindor to a huge contract. Like, why would you trade for Chris Bryant unless, you know, you give a big contract back to the Cubs as part of that trade mm. uh, to make it a little bit more palatable? Uh, I said Jerry's Familia uh, maybe could be something like that. Um, and maybe the Cubs have to eat a little bit more money uh, to make it more palatable for the Mets. I, I, I kind of don't think it's super likely unless something like that happens. George Springer still a possibility. Uh, although there were there have been some recent reports that uh, he's looking to command a contract somewhere in the range of 150 million, maybe more than that. Um, I don't know if the Mets are, are going to go for that if they if they're going to try to sign Lindor. Uh, there was a, a rumor Thursday. I can't remember who reported it, but the Mets had been in touch with uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah. Uh, which Mike, might, Mike, Michael Mayer of uh, right. I should I should know that Michael Mayer. Thank you so much for that. Uh, but yeah. Um, that makes a bit more sense if you're thinking what the Mets are, are planning. Uh, also because they really want to prioritize defense up the middle. Jared Porter, mm-hmm. uh, who's basically your doppelganger, uh, <laughs> the new Mets GM. I'll take it. He's not a bad-looking guy. <laughs> but during the at the, the uh, press availability today, the, the Zoom call, uh, he just had a hoodie on. He was just like... He looks was, exactly like I do it was the, <laughs> Yeah, it was the Drew Silva podcast uh, attire. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he was saying, you know, we really want to prioritize defense up the middle, obviously the Lindor trade, putting Jeff McNeil at his best, best position at second base. He still kind of said, you know, going up the middle is a priority. They got James McCann who, you know, hasn't had a sustained great defensive reputation, but, uh, his framing numbers this past season were really, really good. And he's known for working really well with pitchers The completing this would be moving Brandon Nimmo to a corner outfield spot signing someone like a Jackie Bradley or George Springer to, to play center field. So I think either of those could work. The knock against uh, Bradley until this point was that uh, the Mets lineup might not have been balanced if they were to acquire uh, a Bradley because he's a left-handed hitter, but uh, Lindor's a switch hitter. So that helps balance out the lineup and, you know, could lessen the need for that right-handed bat um, like a Springer. So uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens here. I could still see maybe Springer happening, but certainly less likely uh, than it was maybe 24 hours ago. Also less likely is probably the Mets signing Trevor Bauer. Uh, some Mets fans are pretty happy about that. Uh, but, you know, you look at the Mets rotation right now, like you were saying uh, earlier, Carrasco adding to the rotation with Jacob deGrom at the top, Marcus Stroman. The Mets were very fortunate that Stroman accepted that qualifying offer. Uh, to get him back in that rotation. David Peterson had a pretty solid rookie year. Uh, Steven Matz maybe holding down a spot until Noah Syndergaard returns. Seth Lugo now maybe heads back to the bullpen, which 
I think should be what uh, his role should be. I know he really wants to be a starter, but um, look at what he did last year. He just, he really struggled in the rotation. I don't really think uh, that's the best use for him. Um, but this well, rotation could be really, really good. And, you know, we've talked about on this podcast a ton this winter that teams are going to need kind of swingmen, you know, that are able to eat a bunch of innings or like serve as an opener and go three innings um, because you're not going to want your starters to, to get to, you know, 30 starts at 200 innings um, after the shortened season that we had in 2020. So I think having a, a guy like Lugo who's capable of doing both will, will pr- prove to be really valuable in 2021. Um, and I, I was just thinking about, you know, maybe acquiring a third baseman, the Mets to finish this off. And then you put JD Davis in left field. And then I think the DH is, is going to remain intact. It's crazy that we still don't have an answer on that. Um, but then, you know, you, you, you take Dominic Smith out of the field with, you know, he really probably shouldn't be playing the outfield and he flourished last, last year with getting a touch of that DH role. I think probably assuming the DH is, you know, is a thing in 2021. I, I think it will be. Uh, we could see just Dom Smith as the full-time regular first baseman uh, for the Mets. He's a better first baseman than Pete Alonso, bottom line. Right. Uh, and maybe, you know, going into the year, Pete Alonso, knowing he'll be the DH, uh, he'll get a little more comfortable in that role because it was kind of thrown on him uh, last year. And, and you could tell he he's really emotionally involved in the game. Uh, so I think maybe him having to sit in the dugout uh, maybe just was an adjustment for him. So uh, I think a little more time to get used to that role could be a, a positive thing for for Pete Alonso. But I do think third base is a little bit unsettled for the Mets at this point. Um, J.D. Davis is not really a good third baseman. And uh, offensively, he really uh, fell back a little bit last year. I think he was a little banged up down the stretch, but uh, a little bit of a question, I think, uh, coming into this year, both offensively and defensively. So I, I don't think it's a sure thing. Um, that they're that they're done with their infield. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I think it's nice to have options. I think the Mets will will look for some depth and some versatility. Obviously, uh, you know, trading Rosario and Jimenez. I think it's it's pretty important that they add another infielder, someone who can play maybe second base outfield. I said Jerickson Profar yeah. on Twitter earlier today. Uh, he's not a good fielder, but you know he can stand at second base. He can stand in the outfield. Uh, and it had a pretty good year last year with the Padres. So, uh, you know, assuming he doesn't find a better fit elsewhere financially and playing time wise, I think he'd be perfect for what the Mets need right now. There are a whole lot of options out there to, to fill little, you yeah. know, complementary spots in, in your lineup and in your bullpen and not so much your starting rotation, but, you know, Bauer's still out there too. Um, I guess we've exhausted most of the angles of this trade. Um, I wanted to ask you just just to kind of update myself and yourself and maybe the audience. When do you think the season's going to start? If I had to guess, I would say like May one. Yeah, but I'm ready for that to be pushed back too. Uh, I think it all just depends on the the vaccine rollout, uh, which seems to be going slower than we thought it would go, which isn't encouraging to me. Uh, but at least we know it's on the horizon. I, I'm much more confident that they will play something approximating a, a full season. Um, yeah. What that ends up looking like, I'm not really sure. And that's kind of the hard part about, you know, we're writing this magazine right now, which is hard enough coming off a year where teams played 60 games. So any kind of takeaways from that are, are very difficult. There's a slow off season where nobody's signed anywhere 
Um, so we we have those challenges as well. And then, you know, the season ahead where we don't even know when it's going to start or necessarily if there's going to be 162 games, it's just really hard to predict anything right now. Yeah. Writing that draft guide is, I fin- finally finished all of my stuff today, all my profiles, and I'm sure we're going to have some edits to come. I hope we have a lot of edits to come. I yeah. hope it's like a, a crazy weekend in trades and free agency. Yeah. Um, but it was just, it's so hard to like, how do you weigh the stats from 2020? You know, it, it, it was like the most difficult thing I've ever done. I, I, yeah. I look like a crazy person right now. If anyone can see the video, I, I understand why like Stephen King looks like he does. Like, <laughs> my brain's just fried. I'm like wired. I haven't eaten in a couple of days. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I agree. It's been, but, a, it's but been yeah. crazy. plus I have two little kids and, and the other day I slept like two and a half hours and then I, the next day I slept 10 hours and I think I just got even more messed up because of that. Um, I just have a fiance, but even, even that sometimes if she's like walking around, it's hard to get locked in, you know, to write out, to punch out like 20 player profiles or like a, you know, an article. Um, right there with you, man. But uh, going back, I, I guess I'll give my take on when the, the season will start. I think it's going to get really contentious and maybe people forget how contentious it got last year. Uh, in the spring as you know the union and and the owners were talking about money i think the players will just not go for any kind of prorated salaries this year they're saying we're going to show up to spring training on time and major league baseball has already kind of put out memos that they're not allowed at spring training until they say they're they're allowed at spring training um because the owners don't want to play a season with no fans yeah that's what um, that's the bottom line so yeah it's whenever- not a help it's not a health thing. I'll say yeah. <laughs> Whenever the fans can come in the stadiums is when the season will start. Yep. That's pretty much it. That was, yep. That's, that's the, that's my premise. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think it's realistic. It could be May. It could be, you know, Memorial day or something like that. Uh, and if that's the case, the season would have to be shortened uh, to some extent. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'm much more optimistic about something very close to a normal season being being played this year. And I, I think that is making me feel pretty happy. I enjoyed the seven inning doubleheader experience. So I wouldn't mind if they, they squeezed in some of those. Um, yeah. I know it's not good for like the record books, but it was kind of awesome to sit down and watch two games in like four hours. I mean, they would have to totally redo the schedules that have been released, but like schedule some of those, you know, like, yeah. That should be like a normal part of, of baseball, especially on maybe like a getaway day for teams. Uh, I think that yeah. makes a lot of sense and can go give some players for some off days uh, as well, especially if they have to squeeze in these uh, squeeze in a season in a short amount of time. So, uh, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. But I think all of us should go into 2021 with the expectation that we're not going to see the, see the season start when it normally would. And maybe, I mean, like, like the NBA is pulling it off, you know, kind of, they've had some issues in, in their restart. We'll see what happens with the NHL. I think that starts next Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, go blues. Um, the NFL, I think they just like, don't talk about the problems they've had. The national <laughs> title game is maybe going to get postponed. Um, so I, I don't know. These, these other leagues and organizations are trying it. I don't think baseball's going to try it, like you said, until they can have fans in the stadiums because, you know, the NBA and the NFL, their money, they make their money on TV deals, those enormous TV deals. And they also have, well, the NBA has 12-man rosters. 
Um, so it's not like baseball where they make their money on legitimately like regional cable and, and getting fans in the seats. 81 home games is such a valuable thing and having 162 games overall, um, you really do make a lot of money in ticket sales and concessions and whatever else people do around your ballparks. Um, so I kind of get that. And I think it's going get, get, to gonna get a, a little ugly between the players association and the owners. And don't forget, we still have the new CBA. The new CBA has to be negotiated um, after this season. Right. So I don't know. I think baseball's in for some dark days. But when you say dark days, I guess it's a relative term to where we are in the world right now. Right. Uh, I was thinking about the Lindor trade today. Uh, obviously, it's, you know, with everything going on in the world, I was like, you know what? Of course, when the Mets look like a potential World Series team, there's going to be like a civil war that interrupts it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't want to get too far into that. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so, I, sort of on this similar topic about sort of the, just the state of baseball right now, uh, Japanese right hander Tomoyuki Sagano. We thought he was like probably the the number two starting pitcher on the market uh, behind Trevor Bauer, uh, and I think at a certain point we were sort of, sort of assuming he'd sign with a with an MLB team. But so the fact that it turns out Thursday, you know, the signing period passed without him signing with the team in, in MLB, he goes back to the Yomiuri Giants. Uh, I believe it's a four year deal, I guess, with three opt outs, so he'll still get a chance every year to to weigh his options if he thinks he should come back uh come over to the states and sign with an mlb team but that he didn't sign with anybody i I guess there's some stuff we may never know about how this all went down but that nobody you know gave him a a huge offer is just kind of crazy yeah so that four-year deal back in japan is it's four years 40 million you're telling me like Major League Baseball team couldn't top that. I mean, like the guy had a one nine seven ERA last year. The strikeouts are there. I, I, I like he was being talked about as as one of the top, you know, Japanese pitchers to to make or make his intent known that he wanted to come to Major League Baseball in a long time since probably Masahiro Tanaka. Um, I'm really surprised. I mean, like scouts said he would be like a number two starter right away. I've only seen clips of the guy. Saw him pitch in the World Baseball Classic against Team USA, but um, I, yeah, I'm I'm really shocked, and I guess it's just it's the way of the world, the, the way of the financial baseball world right now, and it makes me wonder what Trevor Bauer's going to get. I mean, there was a report I think it was like right around Christmas time that he was seeking two hundred million dollars on like a, a five or six year deal. He was maybe trying to trying to beat the average annual value that Garrett Cole got from the Yankees last offseason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like for uh, for teams not to go after so- Sagano when it might only cost you like $45 million, um, yeah. I don't think Bauer's going to get that. And I wonder about George Springer too. Um, if someone was willing to pay him $150 million, he'd be signed already. Like We can say that for sure. Well, we heard Sagano connected to the Blue Jays, who also have been mentioned uh, with Springer, and now might be the favorites, I, I, I guess. Uh, we'll see. Like, you know, we've heard all winter that they they want to spend money, but they really haven't done it yet. Um, so we'll see who their their number one target is here. The Padres were mentioned, the, one of the only other teams doing anything yeah. uh, this offseason. The Giants were mentioned a little bit too. Uh, but I'm still surprised because uh, Sagano's going to be 32 years old next October. Like, he's not going to get many more chances to, you know, 
to land a multi-year, you know, lucrative contract in, in major league baseball, like that he didn't go for it now just tells me like, probably there just wasn't a lot of good offers out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I wish the Cardinals would have gone after him, to be honest. They have a lot of pitching depth, but I mean, I think Jack Flaherty is the only pitcher there that I feel real good about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the central is there for the taking. I can go on a whole Cardinals rant <laughs> or not. Just like all you have to do is spend a, a little bit of money and like the central is yours. Yeah, I mean, I'm it, absolutely. I mean, you just think about the the National League right now. It's It's the Dodgers, the Padres, the Braves the Mets, and then a lot of question marks. I mean, the Marlins are on the rise, I guess. The Phillies are kind of in between. I mean, they have Dombrowski there now, so I anticipate they're going to make some moves as sort of a win-now team, but a lot of question marks there. Real Muto is still out there as a free agent, hasn't signed anywhere. Um, They've got to be the favorite for him, but we haven't seen anything, uh, at least anything concrete about discussions there. So beyond those top four, like, it's wide open in the national league. Do you think the lack of activity um, and the lack of the DH decision is reflective of the fact that, you know, Rob Manfred and the owners know that they're not going to let this season start on time. I I feel like they're, I I don't want to say there's like a collusion aspect to it, but like, I'm sure they didn't mind, like, for example, the non-tender deadline passing without us knowing if there'd be a DH. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's all too, like, coincidental to me. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the the more that this is a mystery, the the more it drives down the market. If some of, like, these veteran sluggers, like, even, like, Edwin Encarnacion, who's at this point maybe toward the end of his career, you know, right now his market is is so minuscule because there's, we don't know if there's going to be a DH in the NL and that that's the kind of players that could get squeezed out in this market. Yeah. So I was, I, my final thing to do for the draft guide was write player profiles on all the guys I had that were free agents. And that was kind of the, the line with a lot of them was like, this is a pretty good player. And you know, he should, he should land somewhere pro- probably with an everyday role or at least as a platoon guy. Um, and it's just like, kind of repeating myself there's a lot of good players out there um obviously like even some of the top free agents haven't signed yet um but but hopefully the Lindor trade I think I said at the top like opens some floodgates and it's hopefully like a wild weekend in free agency and you know maybe tomorrow morning there will be a decision about the DH I just I just don't get it how half the teams don't know the rules yet you know like and we're we're what a month and a half from when spring training is scheduled to start we'll see if it actually does most of the splashes this offseason have been big trades. Like we're just waiting for that like first big signing, I guess you could say, uh, or first couple of big signings to start to shake things up a little bit where teams feel like they start to have to make moves. And that just re- hasn't really happened yet. I hope it happens in the next like three or four days so we can squeeze this into the magazine. But no matter what, even if that doesn't happen, we will be up- updating our online draft guide at Rotoworlds. Uh, so definitely look out for that. We're going to be updating that all the way through whenever the season starts. Uh, but the magazine's going to be pretty no matter what. It's yeah. going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be a very pretty cover as it always is. So it's going to be a nice thing to have. Uh, if it's going to be super relevant in March or April, I can't really say that right now. <laughs> it's always good to like put one on your, your toilet. <laughs> yeah. Nice reading material there. Yeah. So, uh, 
I was hoping we'd have more to talk about today, but it was mostly a Lindor podcast, which is fine by me. I don't, I don't really mind, but <laughs> hopefully in the in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a lot more uh, free agency to, to talk about here, a lot more moves to come, and a lot more fantasy fallout as well. Yep, I agree. I, I Hopefully. I mean, I, I don't know. I have no predictions anymore. <laughs> All right, so uh, that'll do it for us this week. If you like what you're hearing with this show, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review if you don't mind. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short and Drew is at Drew Silv. Be safe out there and we will see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.